Good evening, Worship. This morning is Jennifer Polk. Now, Jennifer comes from Greer. Don't think I'll hold that against you. <laughs> Not a football supporter at all. Jennifer is a leader and has been for some, continual, some considerable time. And now that she's retired, uh, she seems to spend her time touring the churches of the Clyde Presbytery doing uh, relief preaching. Uh, she is a member herself of Greener Westburn. The intonations, uh, briefly on the Pew leaflet, we are going to do a one-page summer edition of news from the Pews, so if any organisation or anybody else would like information, put it into IDMOI today. Uh, friendly are having a drop-in on Tuesday the 2nd, that's Tuesday coming, 2 o'clock to 3.30, a uh, cup of tea, biscuit, weather, catch-up on what's been going on over the summer so far. The Connect Hub at the Outreach Centre will be on the first and third Tuesday of uh, August at 1.30. Uh, Bible study is meeting on the first Tuesday of each month in the Outreach Centre starting at 7 o'clock and starting this Tuesday, 2nd of August. Men's breakfast was apparently yesterday, so we'll just gloss over that one. <laughs> and the Social Committee are trying something new this year, a combination barbecue, beetle drive and quiz, Saturday the 10th of September, 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock, or whenever the food and drink runs out, I suppose. The uh, cost is £2.50, and the usual is the social committee put your requests into the silver boxes, which are all the doors. A couple of informations uh, which on the sheet. Uh, I was appealing to the district elders last week to respond to my request for information. That prompted some response. There are still some outstanding, so if any district elder hasn't replied to me, could please do so, uh, hopefully by today, which was the time scale I put on it. Other than that, next week is name and shame day. <laughs> received a communication from an organisation called Faith and Community Scotland. They take to dealing with um, asylum seekers and refugees. And there are some asylum seekers housed in the Hotel of Paisley, and more will be coming at the end of August, and some Ukrainian refugees are housed near the airport. The company that oversees the, the accommodation is Mears, and they are uh, holding a meeting with uh, information on the asylum seekers and the refugees. And it's on Friday the 12th of August. We haven't got a time for it yet, uh, but they're looking to see what how local community can get involved with the asylum seekers and the, the refugee people. Faith and Community Scotland support faith groups to develop they're welcome to asylum seekers and refugees and try to help them integrate into the community. If anyone would like to go to this uh, presentation to find out how we might contribute to the programme, please let me know. And all I would say was in the current circumstances of the presidency plan still not being finalised and discussions to be had with the presidency, it might be a good tick in the box for us to say that we have been to this community involvement meeting and are taking something forward if we find that we can do something. I'll put the peer leaflets in the, put the details in the peer leaflets next week, but uh, people can think about it at the moment. Thank you very much. Now over to you, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. <coughs> Thank you for your welcome this morning. It's a great pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, this is actually the second time I've been in this building because I was here on All Saints Day in 2020 when we were allowed briefly to worship together during, between the two lockdowns. But this is the first time I've actually been in the church when it's Paisley St George's. And it's a particular pleasure for me to be in a St George's church because I was actually brought up in what was Greenock St George's. Uh, later became St George's North before it disappeared when we united to form Greenock Westburn. So it feels a bit like coming home to be in a St George's church once again. So I'm very much looking forward to sharing your worship today. Let's begin. Come to the one who calls us by name. 
the one who cares and comforts us. Come to the one who comes to us, the one who bends down to meet us here. God is our treasure and our home, the inheritance of the faithful. Come to the one who is worthy of praise, the one who rescues and redeems us. The Holy One is in our midst. And let's begin our worship together this morning with a psalm of thanksgiving, which the people of Israel gave thanks to God for all his goodness to his people. Goodness which continues for us today. Psalm 107, which we find in the hymn book at hymn 71. And I'm not sure if the tune in the hymn book will be known, but you will know the tune that we're going to sing it to. Hymn 71, give thanks unto the Lord our God. strength and wisdom, boldness and resolve, care and love, 
peace and charity, to love more, to serve more, to wonder more, to be more. Help us to come to you to cast off our narrow worldly expectations and accept your gift of all that we need. In this time of hope and potential, we give thanks for all that has come before, all that makes us who we are, all those who've come before us and on whose shoulders we stand, the workers and the prayers, the known and the unknown, the whole communion of saints. We confess this day all that we have done that we know we shouldn't, and all that we haven't done that we wish we had. In a moment of silence, then, we bring to you our own thoughts, prayers, and confessions. <coughs> Merciful God, in love you sent your Son, in love you give us your Holy Spirit, and it is in and through your love that we know we are forgiven, holy and always. So it is with confidence and joy that we pray in Jesus' name, and we continue in the words which Jesus taught us and his disciples to say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. <coughs> we don't think we've got any boys and girls with us this morning. We've got lots of grown-up boys and girls, haven't we? We're all grown-up boys and girls. <clears throat> so you're going to get a children's talk. I expect that most of you, or a lot of you anyway, can drive, can't you? Who drives? Who can all drive? Most of us, quite a lot of us. If you, go, <clears throat> if you go to do a driving test nowadays, you have to do a theory test. And I'm not going to um, ask people who had to do theory tests, because I certainly didn't, because it's so long ago since I liked to drive. But even if you didn't do a theory test, you would have to know the road signs. Because at the end of the test, when I sat it, the, the driving tester would show you some road signs, and you would have to be able to say what they were. So I've brought some road signs along with me today. So there's one. What's that one? Yes, I can hear lots of people saying it's no entry. That tells us that we're not allowed to go down that bit of the road. <coughs> That's the first one. Tells us. Here's another one. Let's see if we can see that one. That's a roundabout sign. That tells us that we're coming up to a roundabout and we're going to have to slow down and take care and go around the roundabout the right way around. And here's another one, it's a different kind of one. It's a blue one. Parking. That's a useful one because it tells us that there's a car park and we can find somewhere to put our car when we want to go shopping or when we want to come to church because I found a car park behind your church this morning so that was very helpful. So there we are, we've got a parking sign. That's a blue sign, that's an advisory sign. And here's one that we need to remember to do something about. That's a speed limit sign. Make sure you don't go faster than 50 miles an hour. I'm afraid I've got a confession to make. I'm not very good at keeping to speed limits. I've only been caught once, but um, I think that's luck more than anything else. I should do better on that one. Here's one we don't see very often in this country. That one. You don't see that very often in this country. That's a, a tunnel. Because we don't have very many tunnels in our roads. But I used to go to Spain long before we had um, lockdowns and things. And the bit of Spain I went to, there was lots of tunnels in the roads and you would be driving along 
and there would be a tunnel sign and you would know that you would have to switch your lights on because you need to switch your lights on in tunnels. And it was just a, a warning sign to know, let you know that there's a tunnel coming up. And here's another one. I'm sure you've all seen that one. Uh, bends on the road coming up. There we are. You'll see that one with the bends on the road. And that's another warning sign to tell us that something's happening and we're going to have to slow down and take care. And this is one that I really like, because it's actually written on the road, <laughs> and it says slow. But when you look at that view, you think, well, I would probably quite like to slow down anyway, <laughs> just to look at the scenery, isn't it lovely? That's a nice one. And another one that I'm sure you all know very well, give way. It actually tells you, you just got to read it. It says, give way, watch out for the traffic coming in another direction. And I've got one here, my last one. I bet you've not seen that one before. <laughs> you see that one? And you see that one? Uh, do we ever have beware of the polar bear sounds in Paisley? I don't think I've seen one. This actually comes from uh, Spitsbergen, which is up uh, towards the North Pole, actually. About as near the North Pole as you can get. And when I was there, briefly, I saw this and I thought, that's a fantastic sign. And it's a great sign to use in children's talks because children get quite excited to see, beware of the polar bear. But they do have to beware of polar bears there because they get polar bears in the streets, amazingly. So you do need to have a beware of the polar bears sign. So we have all these signs and we've got to learn them and we've got to know them and know what they mean. <clears throat> Because we need, to, we need guidance on how to drive so that we know when to stop, when there's a roundabout, when the road's getting narrow. Oh, and there's a parking space I can go and park. It's all very useful. But we need guidance for our lives as well. And that's one of the reasons we come to church. We come to church to read our Bibles, to learn what God wants us to do so that we know the way that we should go and we know the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do because we find all that in the Bible. And that's what I want you to remember today. All the things that you come to church to learn, to read your Bibles, to say your prayers, to listen to what I've got to say, whether you'll learn very much from that or not, we'll, learn, we'll find out later. But um, it's to learn about God, to see God, to find out more about God and the direction that he wants you to go in your lives. And we're going to sing a hymn about that in 641, Seek ye first the kingdom of God.
morning. Our Gospel reading this morning is taken from Luke, Luke chapter 12, reading there verses 13 to 21, and that's the parable of the rich fool. That's Luke chapter 12, reading at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, My friend, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And then we read again from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Living as those made alive in Christ is the title of it. That's Colossians, chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that. Our next hymn reflects on the themes of our readings and calls for the coming of God's kingdom. Hymn 261, Father Eternal, Ruler of Creation.
Let us pray. Consecrate us, O God, by the truth. Your word is truth. Guide our minds by your spirit, that we may understand your word, learn your will, and follow more closely in the steps of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus was surrounded by huge crowds. Thousands, the first verse of Luke chapter 12 tells us. And he was in the middle of encouraging his disciples to declare that they were his followers and not to be concerned about how they would defend themselves even when they were being tried by the synagogues or the governors or other rulers. But he was interrupted by a man in the crowd who wanted him to settle a financial dispute between himself and his brother. He wanted Jesus to tell his brother to divide their father's property between them, presumably because he wasn't sure that he was going to get the share that he thought he was entitled to. Jesus, however, dismissed his request and refused to enter into the family squabble, asking who had given him the right to judge between the two brothers. Instead, Jesus used the situation as an opportunity to teach about the seduction of wealth. And as was often the case, Jesus taught by telling a story. The story of a rich man who stored up treasure on earth rather than treasure in heaven. The rich man in the story is called a fool, not because of his wealth or his ambition, but rather because he gave finite, um, excuse me, I've lost my place. <laughs> finite and perishable things, infinite value. He tried to insulate himself from fate through his productive farming and more than adequate finances. But in the end, he had nothing. He could not take his wealth with him when the time came to give up his life, which turned out to be much sooner, sooner than he had expected. He had everything he believed he wanted and more. Yet in the end, which came the very night he made his big decisions about the way he would spend the rest of his life, it all proved inadequate and worthless. In understanding this parable, it's important to see what the rich man's error actually was. Jesus did not portray him as wicked. He'd not gained his wealth illegally or by taking advantage of others. He must have been a good farmer, working hard, able to make the best of what he had. In other circumstances, Jesus commended those who used their money wisely. For example, in the parable of the talents, it was the two servants who put their master's money to good use who were praised, while the servant who hid his master's money in the ground was condemned as bad or lazy. Neither is the rich man shown to be particularly greedy. Indeed, he seems to be somewhat surprised by his good fortune and unprepared for it, because he didn't have big enough barns to store all the crops he had produced. And he made what appear to be reasonable plans to store the abundant harvest. What is wrong, we might ask, about his building larger barns to store away some of today's plenty for a potentially leader tomorrow? That sounds like good housekeeping. Nothing wrong with that, we might answer. Except, except for two things. First, notice the rich man's constant focus throughout the conversation he has with himself. I haven't anywhere to keep my crops. What can I do? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones where I will store my corn and all my other goods. Then I will say to myself, the continual use of the first person pronouns, I, mine, and myself, betray his preoccupation with himself. It was all about him. He didn't think about using his newfound fortune to help others. Not even his own family and friends, it seems. There was no expression of gratitude for his good fortune. No thanks to those who'd worked hard on the land for him. No recognition of God at all. The rich man had fallen prey to worshipping the most popular of gods, the unholy trinity of me, myself 
and I. This led to and was most likely caused by his second mistake. He was not foolish because he made provision for the future. He was foolish because he believed that by his wealth he could secure his future. Lucky man. You have all these good things you need for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and enjoy yourself. He had it made. Jesus' parable tells us about wealth's ability to impoverish our souls and debase our values. The parable is explicitly framed to make it warn against greed, acquisitiveness and selfish preoccupation with our own security. It offers an explanation as to why otherwise ordinary and hard-working people end up existing in their own self-absorbed universes, constructing lives in which they don't care about anybody else, especially people they can't see or don't want to see. The parable explains that greed is idolatry. We live in a culture that regularly tells us that we don't have enough. Television adverts, newspaper and magazines, billboards and the internet all not only tell us that we have insufficient, we're incomplete, but they also promise us that if we had that better car or house or holiday or clothes or perfume or whatever, then our lives would be complete or at least much better than they are now. Our culture equates consumption with satisfaction, possessions with happiness, and material wealth with the good life. And all too often, we believe it too. Or at least we partly believe it. We know it's not true, but somehow we can't get it out of our heads that the more possessions we have, the bigger our incomes, the more our houses go up in value, the bigger cars we have, the better holidays we go on, more expensive clothes we can afford to buy, somehow that will make us happier and more secure. And with the current cost of living crisis, it's a big problem for many people. We're encouraged to think that it's a problem for us all, that cutting back at all is somehow an outrageous idea. And we must all be compensated for the increase in prices with at least the same increase in our incomes or help from the government. But all the evidence is that the society is wrong. There are plenty of passages in the Bible including our readings this morning, which warn us that wealth does not equal happiness, that we need to keep our minds on heavenly and not earthly things, passages warning about greed. Also, surveys that measure national happiness show us that the United States, the wealthiest country in the world, ranks in the bottom 10% of reported happiness. And the UK, which is also a wealthy country relative to most, doesn't do much better. <clears throat> In my own life, I know I have more things now than 20 or 30 years ago, but I'm not any happier than I was then. I'm sure that most of you will have had the same or similar experience. If we are happier than we were in the past, it's unlikely to be related to the size of our bank balance. So we know that as a rule, wealth and possessions don't make a person happy. Yet we still secretly believe that we'll be the exception to that rule. We'll probably catch ourselves dreaming that if we had just a little bit more money in the bank or the mortgage was paid off, if I just had enough to afford, well, fill in your own blank, everything would be okay. The attraction of money is that it creates the illusion of independence. It promises us that we can rise above our everyday vulnerabilities and needs that remind us that we are mortal, created beings, ultimately and always dependent on others, and most especially on God. Human life is fraught with uncertainty and insecurity. And perhaps for this very reason, we're tempted to search for a measure of security and control over events through our own efforts. There is no doubt that a certain level of financial security is beneficial. Not having to worry about having enough money to pay the rent or the mortgage or the council tax at the end of the month. Having enough to give nice presents to your family at Christmas 
without having to scrimp and save through the rest of the year is the level of security we perhaps need. And we have to remember that for all the wealth in our country, there are many living in our town who find some of these things difficult. Look at the use of food banks, the need for school uniform swaps, and Christmas presents for children who will get none. But beyond our basic needs, we too are storing up treasure on earth rather than treasure in heaven. The Beatles sang, can't buy me love, because I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. The Beatles were right. Money can't buy us love, nor can it buy us good health, a happy family life, a good spiritual life. We need not just to remember that, but also to live it. Nevertheless, the false promise that we can meet our deepest needs materially has become embedded so deeply in our culture that all too often our response to disappointment with material goods is to shop some more. How often do we hear the phrase retail therapy? Why do we need all these physical goods, our treasures on earth? We know material abundance is not enough. We struggle to overcome the seduction of possessions, lust of possessions, as the verse in our hymn earlier said. The question is not, is material wealth bad? Can our wealth secure a relative degree of comfort? Certainly. Can it give us the confidence that we are worthy of love and honour and in a right relationship with God and our neighbours? Certainly not. When we recognise that the gifts of ultimate worth, dignity, meaning and relationships are just that, gifts offered freely by God, can we hope to put our relative wealth in perspective and be generous with it towards others? Which is what scares me about this Sunday's parable about the rich fool and at the same time makes me hopeful. What's scary, of course, is if we identify a little too closely with the rich man. After all, he's not a cheat or a thief or even particularly greedy. He's just worked hard and made a lot of money, just like most of us would probably dream about. His mistake in the end doesn't have to do with his wealth. Rather, he goes astray by believing that his wealth can secure his future, can make him independent from others and, more importantly, from God. Are we rich in God's sight? The rich man in the story very definitely wasn't. Paul puts it in a slightly different way in his letter to the Colossians. Set your hearts on things that are in heaven. He also sets out some of the things which we must avoid if we are to build up treasure in heaven. He has a long list of our possible sins, all to be avoided. And one of these is greed, which Paul says is a form of idolatry, and indeed it is. If we lust after money and possessions, we put them first in our lives. And what is first in our lives is what we make our God. Paul also wrote to Timothy the often misquoted statement that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's worth listening to the whole of that section from Paul's letter. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Well, religion does not make us very rich if we are satisfied with what we have. What did we bring into the world? Nothing. What can we take out of the world? Nothing. So then, if we have food and clothes, that should be enough for us. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are caught in the trap of many foolish and harmful desires which put them down to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a source of all kinds of evil. Some have been so eager to have it that they have wandered away from the faith, broken their hearts with many sorrows. Jesus also said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The rich man's heart was in his overflowing barns at the eating, drinking and enjoying himself, which his wealth would have allowed him to do. 
had not God decided that that very night his life would be ending. We all have possessions. What matters is what possesses us. Is it striving for more money, more and better possessions? Or do we look beyond that? It's sometimes said that we can see what someone's God is by looking at how they spend their money. What are we spending our income on? Are we building barns like the rich man? Or are we using our resources wisely? If our treasure is here on earth like the rich man, there will be nothing waiting for us at the end. Jesus is calling us to see beyond the borders of our fields or bank accounts. He's trying to give us a vision of a truly abundant life. A life centered on God rather than on possessions, on things that truly matter. It's all about priorities. It's about who or what is truly God in our lives. It's about how we invest our lives and the gifts God has given us. It's about whether our lives are fundamentally aligned towards ourselves and our passing desires or towards God and our neighbours. Where do we stand today? Amen. Now to God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, be glory and praise now and forever. We sing together again a hymn of dedication of all that we have, all that we do and all that we are to God. In 505, all that I am, all that I do.
Let's pray. Bountiful Lord, thank you that you are willing to take all that we offer to you and then multiply it for good. We know that we grow by giving in faith, gratitude and even in want. For when we give, we give to you and you multiply it beyond our wildest imaginations. Take all that we are and all that we have, our time, talents and money, and bless this community and grow your church through our giving. Amen. And now let's pray for others. Lord, we pray for those parts of the world where there is war and unrest, for those in Ukraine, Afghanistan, Yemen, Palestine, and so many other places where there is no peace. Hear the cries of those who are frightened, strengthen and inspire those who work for peace, and help us to be people of peace ourselves. We pray for justice, that in our country and across the world, leaders will be inspired by the Spirit to act fairly and wisely for the common good, and that our institutions would be guided and renewed by those seeking to hear your voice. We pray for families, in particular families struggling with rising living costs and the extra struggles that the school holidays bring. Help them to know of your peace and encouragement, and help us to form communities which nurture and support families of all kinds. We pray for our church, that at times of change and uncertainty, we will be a place of refuge, science and peace in our communities, that in a busy and troubled world, we will have wisdom and compassion to support people in their pain and guide them to find rest at Jesus' feet. Today, Lord, we pray too for the folks of St George's. We pray for Vary, that she and Jim have enjoyed their time away and that she's had the rest she so deserves. We pray for those not with us today, whatever the reason, but especially those not able to come through ill health. We pray for our young folk that they enjoy their long summer holidays. Help us to use our summer break to refresh and to consider how best we can become a church that brings your message of love to our community through sharing your word and offering practical support. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We close our worship this morning with what, what is one of my favourite hymns, but which also reflects very much what we've been thinking about seeking treasures in heaven. In 465, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart.
Christ. Care for creation. Comfort the weary. Console the brokenhearted. Challenge injustice. Called by God to be Christ's body in the world. Share freely and fully the gifts you have been given through the Spirit. Serve others. Seek peace. Show love. Speak truth to power. God is your treasure and your home. Go knowing yourself, beloved. Go knowing yourself blessed. Go knowing that the Holy One goes with you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be with us all and remain with us always.